Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Once a month on the show, we have what's called Takeover Tuesday, where Dermot Buffini, Brian's brother, interviews successful people he's met over the years, and we get to hear the twists and turns they experienced along the way. Let's take a listen. Hi there, it's Dermot Buffini, and this is Takeover Tuesday, where I sit down with people who've applied the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. It's always a chance to hear from some amazing people I've met on my journey, and we've got a great interview lined up for you today. Now, I know today is tax day, and for some folks, they call it National Extension Day. Today's topic is about money. That's right, the Cashola, the Benjamins, the De Niro, everyone's favorite topic, money. I don't know about you, but growing up, I never thought I'd have a lot of it. So I never thought I'd really have to learn how to manage it. Well, we've got a gentleman today who I believe has helped more people in their personal finance than anyone else on the planet, and that's Dave Ramsey. Now, Dave Ramsey, as many of you know, is a financial guru. He has helped millions of people bring stability to their finances and ultimately build a financial fortune. Now, ironically, this podcast was recorded in Las Vegas on one of the top floors of a casino which I thought was kind of funny that we were talking about money and being sensible with it. And we had someone like Dave Ramsey sitting down and sharing ways that we could avoid putting money in slot machines and other wasteful places. So I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did and the lessons that he shares on this. I hope they bear a lot of fruit for you. Let's listen in now. All right. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining me today. Welcome to the show. Well, I'm honored to be with you, brother. Thanks a million. I know you're a busy man. I've got a few things going on. So taking the time to sit down with me, I really, really appreciate My honor. You know, you've accomplished some really big things in your life. I believe later this year you celebrate 25 years of the Dave Ramsey Show. We do. You're on over 525 radio stations, one of the largest radio shows in the country. Mm-hmm. And more than 12 million listeners. Mm-hmm. New York Times bestselling author. You've been on Oprah, Larry King, 60 Minutes. And now you're here with me today. Well, I've been working hard, and finally, <laughs> finally, I got it. <laughs> On the way to that, too, you've built an awesome company, hundreds of employees who are helping transform people's personal finances and their families' futures forever. Mm-hmm. I heard you once say that most really big things start with a simple story. Mm-hmm. And you have a simple story. You start in humble beginnings in Antioch, Tennessee. Can we start there? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, my wife, Sharon, and I started out like most people, broke. We just got married, and we were driving a 1902 Pinto and eating off a card table. You know, we were, we were broke. Um, I grew up in a real estate household. Mom and Daddy were in a residential business, and so I had my real estate license and thought I was going to be a real estate mogul. And I started buying and selling real estate. By the time I was 26, I had about $4 million worth of real estate, a little over a million-dollar net worth. And that year was, what, 1986, I made $250,000 cash taxable income. More than I'd ever seen. I mean, $20,000 a month, the neighborhood I grew up in is called Rich. I mean, we didn't know anything different than that. That's a lot of money. And so um, we were kicking it. Things were good. The bank got sold to another bank, called our notes. We spent the next two and a half years of our life losing everything we owned. We were sued and foreclosed on, and finally with a brand-new baby, a toddler, and a marriage hanging on by a thread, we were broke, bankrupt, started over, 28 years old. And I'm 56, so... That's 28 years ago, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, something like that. So we're coming up on the 30-year anniversary of that, I guess. But, man, you you learn some stuff that way that you don't learn in any textbook and that Mm -hmm. you don't want to learn. You wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's thorough. Pain is a thorough teacher. Mm -hmm. And so coming out of that, uh, we decided we were going to handle money a different way. 
gods and grandma's ways of handling money, common sense, mm-hmm. and uh, don't borrow money and live on a budget and always be giving and always act your wage, live on less than you make, mm-hmm. always be hanging out with people that are forward-thinking because you become who you hang around with. And we started living that, and, and over time, uh, we were slowly able to dig back out and uh, rebuilt our wealth uh, many times over, actually. But it was it was not exactly a bounce back. One guy said, well, "How did you bounce back?" So <laughs> when you fall that far, dude, you don't it's not you don't bounce. It's more of a splat. But uh, we got the opportunity to start over, and it's a thorough, thorough teacher. Mm. Obviously, the entrepreneurial spirit was in you at an early age. I was beyond that. I was arrogant. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was a jerk. <laughs> so what do you think that was? My parents, in a good way, but I took it too far, convinced us that we could do anything, mm. that we were in control of our own destiny. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were in the real estate business growing up, when I was growing up, and so you know, they were students of Earl Nightingale or Zig Ziglar or mm-hmm. Norman Vincent Peale, or, and you know, if it's to be, it's up to me, and if you mm-hmm. can conceive and believe it, you can achieve it. And, and they truly, in a, in a good way, brainwashed us and made us think we could do anything. Mm-hmm. Of course, the downside of that is, is that you, know, you, you don't use common sense if you think you have a you don't know there's kryptonite if you're superman that's why i was able to do so much at a young age but also why we built the house of cards because get rich quick was nothing wrong with that for me because i was superior Mm -hmm. to the Mm -hmm. average guy Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna be average and so uh get rich quick's a good Mm -hmm. way to get broke what that is and to be successful you kind of need to have a balance i mean you need to have drive you need to be ambitious you need to believe you can do things yeah and i guess what going broke did is it polished some of the rough edges off of that drive mm. and, and gave it a, a deeper, more noble calling. Because for me, you know, young and arrogant, self-centered, it was just about me. It was mm-hmm. about what I could get, what I could drive, what I could build, what I could do. Mm-hmm. And that lack of humility, and humility is not, you know, C.S. Lewis says, humility is not that you think less of yourself, but you think of yourself less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that's really what I got out of that, mm-hmm. was I still had the drive and mm-hmm. I still had the, the push, the chutzpah, the ambition, and I'm not ashamed of that, mm-hmm. but it's more sanctified now uh, after God got his sandpaper mm-hmm. out and polished the hair mm-hmm. off my head. Oh, yeah. That's a good way of saying it. As a man, right, you know, we're, we're raised like John Wayne, get out there and do it, hit mm-hmm. the football field, in my case, soccer field, you know, mm-hmm. play hard, work hard, all that sort of stuff. When your world caved in, you weren't that long married, you had a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. What was that like? How, how did you... Oh, it was hell. We about killed each other. We were, I mean, it was a horrible, it's the number one cause of divorce mm. in North America is money fights and money problems. Mm. And my poor wife, she thought she married Sir Galahad. Turns out it was Goober. I mean, <laughs> she's sitting here, they're, they're cutting the water off. Our house is getting foreclosed on and, you know, they're towing cars off and gee, man, stuff, foreclosure notices, lawsuit notices coming to the front door of the sheriff every day. She's on a first name basis with a guy from the sheriff's department making him cookies. You know, it was ridiculous. <laughs> so it was horrible. And. Well, the weird thing was we survived that because we were kind of both raised old school mm. that we held on. But then like three years later, once we started making some money and relaxed a little bit, we realized how deep those scars were. And we ended up spending the next three years in marriage counseling because, mm. you know, like she was so insecure because of that. Mm-hmm. And my self-esteem was so whipped mm. because of that. And you can't fake it till you make it when you go through that anymore. You, you really have to be the person, not just think you could be someday. So it sounded like you guys, as hard as it was, you pressed into it. You kind of it didn't oh, yeah. di- divide you, but you kind of unified and rallied around us. Yeah, I mean we fought like animals, but we were we were not quitting. 
we just held on and I always laugh and say Sharon's from the hills of East Tennessee frying pan throwing there's an Olympic event you know what I mean so it's like <laughs> I mean I, it was rough but I, you can get through it and looking back thank God we did I mean we got grandbabies and our babies are good adults yeah. now they're a lot better adults than we ever were <laughs> and they're you know smarter and, and yeah. kinder and yeah. better people and so on and we know the I mean the story has ended all right okay I mean it's, yeah. it's out of your pain has come your purpose and mm-hmm. look at what you're doing and I don't want to get into that here in a second but you know, we've just gone through a massive recession. People are still recovering from it. And, and at the same time, people are kind of back up and running. And they think they're, mm-hmm. hey, we're good again. Mm-hmm. What are the type of things that you can do in order to kind of get your gas back and get your mojo back, get your energy, protect yourself, take care of yourself? Well, in a smaller way, every time we have a business failure of some kind, we launch a product that doesn't do what we think it should do, mm-hmm. or we have a, an event that flops, or we do whatever, every time we still have a little smaller failures, non-fatal failures now, mm-hmm. We always just stop and do a good CSI on it. Let's do a good autopsy and go, okay, what went right, mm. what went wrong, yep. and, and just do a review of the project. Mm. And so if you're out there and you're listening to this and you've been through that in the recession and you bounce back, be careful if you bounce back too quick because you mm. want to make sure you mm. learn the lessons that came from that because otherwise you'll get to learn them again. Yeah. Because, you know, there's one thing for sure. I mean, I got my real estate license in 1978. There's one thing for sure. That was not the last recession. <laughs> it was right. not the last one. I'm not predicting the end of the world. I hope we have a long period yeah. of prosperity. Yep. But the only thing you can predict about the economy of 100% certainty is it's going to change. Hmm. If it's bad, count on it. It's going to get better. If it's good, count on it. It's going yeah. to get worse. Right. Learn the lessons from right. when it was down. I mean, if, like me, I learned a lesson. I don't borrow money anymore. Right. Me, I, I learned a lesson. I don't try to out-earn my stupidity anymore. I used to think if I could just make another sale, everything would be okay. Right. I could just out, I, no matter how dumb I was, I could just make more money. Yeah. And you can't make enough to out. Right. Stupidity will tackle you from behind. You know. I mean, you gotta. <laughs> so I had to stop doing that, and that means do a budget. That means start doing some planning, and and in the business world, it means I had to not just be tactical, um, because my nature as a sales guy is tactical. Mm-hmm. But as a leader now, I've had to learn the art and learn the science of strategic thinking hmm. and getting above stuff and it's not my nature but that doesn't mean I can't learn it it's a decision mm-hmm. you know we always ask the question around our places uh, if we're going to hit our goals which are stretch goals if we're going to hit them what has to be true about us what has to be true about the organization what has to be true about our culture what has to be true about the business model mm-hmm. that's not true today in order to hit that mm-hmm. and you can apply that to doing the autopsy on your downturn mm-hmm. and say okay what has to be true so that next time this comes yep because one of the things we did is we slapped our fist on the table and we said, never mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. will we be here. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. Not going to. Listen, American Express calls my house. It's a wrong number. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. never. Right. Never. Right. Are we going to be there again? You know, if I'm in a banker's meeting, if you see me going up to the tower to go in the boardroom of the bank, it means I'm buying the bank. <laughs> because yeah, I, I never am I in there. I love that. Money. Well, yeah, you know, know. I, I, never again. Yeah, yeah. And you have to have those moments. Totally. You need to get that out of the pain. Otherwise, you get to learn the lesson again because mm-hmm. you flunked the class. you got to go back through it again. Right, right, right. I love that, though. That I mean, at the end of the day, reflecting in the moment mm-hmm. and learning from your mistakes, you can kind of predict your future. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can kind of say, well, here's my tendency. Mm-hmm. Here's my natural uh, Weaknesses, instinct. strengths. Weakness, yeah. I love and that. And here's the things I learned about me. Here's the things I learned about the world that I thought were true that aren't true. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned some new facts. I jumped off the building and... There's this thing called the law of gravity. Who knew? You know, now I know. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things about you that I've kind of learned and got to know you a little bit over the years, you're a pragmatist. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> you're fairly driven. You're funny, but you've actually got a great heart and a great heart for people. And I see that in your family. Mm-hmm. I, 
and he's certainly married up. Your bride is oh, just a, yeah. a great lady. I'll punt in my coverage. <laughs> you did. Severely. God bless you. But I just love the fact in your story is that you started getting back on your feet. You started helping others. Hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. How did all this start? Like you went through the pain. You went through the fire. You learned all these lessons. And then you started just running the class at your church. Yeah. Actually, it was an accident. In a happy accident, but it wasn't, how can I make money from me failing? I never thought of it that way. Right. I didn't even think of how can I help others from me failing. Instead, it just was a natural result of some friends called and said, hey, you guys didn't get a divorce. Mm. You ultimately did not get lose your home, and we're in trouble. Would you sit down with us and have a coffee? That's probably my first financial coaching session, you know, mm. uh, with a yellow pad and a HP-12C calculator at my dining room table, right? They couldn't spell budget, and so we laid out a budget. And uh, it turns out, you know, being a real estate guy, his landlord that he was behind with was a friend of mine. So I called the guy and said, look, he's going to pay a payment and a half for four months so he gets current. Is that okay? And I got him on a budget. And he goes, if you're going to walk with him, I'll give him a shot. And we turned the guy around, and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And the guy was so thankful. It was just a friend, you know, just helping. And then the pastor called from the church, and the same thing happened. The pastor doesn't know anything about money, you know. And he said, hey, this guy's in my office is in foreclosure. He goes, Dave, I know you used to buy foreclosures, and then you were one. Do you think you can help him? And I said, yeah, I think I can. So um, I sat down with him, and we did a workout with the mortgage company and reset the mortgage and were able to do the whole forbearance agreement and the whole bit and lay that thing out and save their house. Hmm. And, you know, pretty soon I'm meeting with everybody, you know, (laughs) and it became like this side job at the church. And then I started teaching a little class. I'd been studying not only what old rich people did with money, because I knew my plan didn't work. I needed a new plan. But I also was studying as a Christian, studying what the Bible said about money. And mm. so I started teaching a Sunday school class on, you know, what the Bible says about money to these college agers. And there was like 14 of them. And four years later when I finished teaching it, 600 people were in the class. Yeah. Because it turns out that a lot of people struggle mm-hmm. with this issue. Like most everybody struggles with it in one way or another. Everybody acts like they're cool and they got it together, but almost nobody does. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we struggle with money? Because it's a reflection of us growing up. I mean, the problem with my money, I always say, is the guy in my mirror. Mm-hmm. If I can get that guy to behave, he can be rich and skinny. And <laughs> he's got issues, you know, and he just got problems. But the more he can control him, the more yeah. I can control that variable. It's really the only variable I can ultimately control, mm-hmm. actually. God's going to do what God's going to do. Sharon's going to do what she's going to do. The marketplace right. is going to do what the right. marketplace is going to do. I can't control mm-hmm. All I can control is how I enter those conversations and how I react when a variable is thrown at me. Mm-hmm. That's the only ultimate thing I can control. Mm-hmm. And so it is about growing up. You know, I was a classic. I was buying stuff to impress other people. Mm-hmm. And I've gone so far the other way, it's ridiculous now. I don't <laughs> just don't care what other people think. It's horrible. I should, I should actually care a little bit. But I, mean, I love that. Like somebody gets mad, I'm like, well, get in line. You know, it's just whatever. So you went from helping folks, which must have actually being somewhat therapeutic for you mm-hmm. in saying, okay, I can do something with this. Yeah. And then you end up on a radio. How did, how did the radio show stuff start? There was a, another real estate guy in town that had gone broke, and he was doing a radio show on a radio station that was bankrupt there in Chapter 11. And I was in this one of those. You remember Robert Allen, Nothing yeah. Down? Mm-hmm. Okay. He went broke with his Nothing yeah. Down for yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what happened to Robert, <laughs> but I read his books, and I remember he went Chapter 11, too. Anyway, so I was in one of those Nothing Down clubs that he had started, mm-hmm. real estate clubs. And by then, I was broke, and I had was selling those guys' stuff. I would get, dig up a deal and flip it to them, because I didn't have any money or credit, so I'd dig up a deal, flip it to them, make a spread. And so uh, they made me one of the officers in the club. So we had a guy come into town, a big speaker of some kind, 
who knows who it was. I don't even remember. He had a like a glossy picture, so he was cool. <laughs> and so I was going to go do the publicity to drive the membership for this little club. Hmm. So I go on this broke radio station, this broke guy. We promote my nothing down guy coming to town, which is a hoot. And then the guy goes, so you went broke too? And I said, yeah, yeah, you and me both. We were, you know, we were all victims of the of the economy and our own stupidity and so forth. And so we start talking about it, and he goes, and so what are you doing with that? And I said, well, it helps people at our church stop a foreclosure. And he goes, well, if anybody out there has got any financial problems, Dave will answer your question. <laughs> and the phone rings. Well, he never got any calls because this show is so bad. It was like a Saturday Night Live skit, like bad financial hour. You know, it was horrible. And the phone rang, and he's like, what's that? He didn't know what to do. So no phone screener, just picked it up, put the guy on the air. And uh, we start talking, and so we get through, and he said, that was cool, let's do that again. I went, oh, probably not. But So I went back down there a couple times and did the show just for fun, and um, they were paying him $35 a day, and a guy in the investment business called me. There's a friend of mine, and he goes, hey, that guy quit. It's in the newspaper. It's like one paragraph. They didn't pay him his $35 or whatever. We ought to go do that show. And I'm like, I'm not doing the radio show. Radio people are broke. They're like bankers. They got big titles, big egos, no money. I got to feed these kids over here. I'm, I'm out to make money. And he goes, well, I had the, I'd self-published a little book, had it in the trunk of my car. And he goes, you could just do it like two days a week. I'll do it two days a week. We'll get another friend of ours to do a real estate hour on Friday. And so just two days a week, two hours a week. You Just call it a ministry. And, and then he, I'll never forget, he said, who knows, you might even sell some of that stupid little book he wrote. So we went down and talked to the guy around the station into letting us work for free, and uh, we did the show for free. I've never been paid by radio station still. Now I get ad dollars on my network, but I've never been on the side. Am I helping you hurting you here at my yeah. <laughs> confession no, time? This is just yeah. realizing this. No, it's okay, but I mean, that's how it all started, and, and it was bad. I mean, it was like WKRP, the, the people in there. There was a woman on the air after us that would read your palm over the air, and uh, I mean, it was, it was like horrible barnyard radio, and we were so country fried that it was like Daryl and his other brother, Daryl, doing the show. So that's how it started, truthfully. But here's what's interesting to the whole ridiculous story, because it is kind of a caricature, a cartoon almost. The <clears throat> principles that we teach, mm -hmm. regardless of how poorly they were packaged or how bad we were mm -hmm. at delivering them, how weak the radio signal was, from day one we had phone calls. And from day one people didn't care whether I sounded like a hillbilly. All they cared about was they could get their mess straightened out. They could get their hope back, their mm. broken heart, their marriage was struggling, mm. their car is going to be taken on Friday. Can somebody help me? Mm. That's all they cared. Right. And, you know, there's a principle in that that I just never forgot in businesses. That's really all they care is can you help them? Can you help me? They're looking at you. Your customer's looking at you going, they're having a conversation with you. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. Can you help me be something that I'm not today? Mm -hmm. And if you can't help me, because I'm on my hero journey here. I'm going to be a hero in my story. And if you can't help me be the hero and kill the dinosaur or whatever it is I'm going to do, slay the dragon, whatever it is, then I'm probably going to need to talk to you. Can you help me? Is what the customer so is saying. So like, quick, I need to go. What, what have you got for me? Yeah, can you help me? That's what they're all saying all the time. And we forget that because we get all caught up in, you know, a digital application of this or that. Or do right. we have an app? Or right. do we have this? Or do we have a shiny that? Or is our business card or our car or or shoe shine. They don't care. Yeah. All they care is, can you help me? And it doesn't matter how bad you are. If you can just help them, right. then they'll come to you. And they have now. And all these years later, yeah, we worked on our craft. Yeah, we're a lot better. Uh, I don't sound quite as hillbilly anymore. And I'm better at answering the questions. And I'm better at cutting through the bull than I was. Uh, I don't beat around the bush as much. I go straight for the throat quicker. But still, the question is the same. Can you help me? 
Can you help me? I'm scared. Can you help me? I want to live my life. I want to live my dreams. I want to be somebody. Can you show me how to do that? Can you show me how to win? That's all they care about. Somebody's come in. You know what they want. You know what the head wants and what the desire wants and the, the goals are, but they're heartbroken. How long does it take you to kind of put them back together and send them on their way with something? What is the process? How do you go about doing that? On the radio, it's, it's incomplete. It's a part of the process. And once I got that, two things happened that relieved me from the need to keep a caller for an hour and do a whole counseling session you know, on the air. One thing was I realized that you can't fix them on the air. Mm. It's not going to work. It's not practical, the tactical implications. I can answer that question and move them to the next thing, and I can send them right. to you know a good real estate person to help them with their house yep. problem. I can send them to a good investment broker yep. to help them with their – I can send them to get some insurance, or I can send them to one of our coaches and help them – or one of our classes, or I can yep. give them a book yep. and open up. But it, all I can do is just get that one little thing. And then the second thing was in the early years, I was so exhausted when I come off the air because of the burden mm. of it. And um, my wife fixed that. Every time I would come home, she'd go, look, you just think you're Jesus, and that's his nice. job. Right. You know, you act like you're supposed to fix everything, and you can't. You're not that's Jesus. Right. Jesus's job is that's taken. Right. That's He's right. supposed to fix them. Yeah. And so all you can do is point them to where they get the help. That's right. And fix their broken heart and heal them. You don't heal people's hearts, Dave. It's not your job. Your job is to lead them through processes that can give them hope and right. to people yep. that can love them well and give them hope. That's great. I, I say that to people all the time, and I say in our company, like, I'm here to help. I'm not here to save. I can only help. Yeah. There's someone else who saves, and it ain't me. Yeah. So understanding the fact that, A, you have to learn the boundaries of managing your own you know emotions emotions and how far are you willing to serve somebody and then coming back to hey i'm going to give them a, enough that they can take mm-hmm. and is that where the books and then fpu financial peace mm-hmm. university came from mm-hmm. how did you do that how did you bring those th- things together well what we've ended up with is what we call a funnel approach to marketing at the top of the funnel are things that are free mm-hmm. and are short bite sizes they don't take a lot of time and they don't take any money mm-hmm. The next level down would be a little more time and a little more money. All the way to the bottom of the funnel would be something like our Entree Leadership Platinum. And if you come sit in that chair for a week, it's like ten grand. You know, that kind of thing. And so the most expensive, and it's a full week. So the radio show, you can listen for free. And you can listen and turn the car off. When you turn the car off, take your groceries in. In the middle of the call if you want to. You don't have to listen to the whole thing. So that you consume it at your leisure. Podcasts the same way. Because they're on demand, so I can turn it on or off, and I can you can listen to this this yeah. podcast right here anytime you want. So it's free and it's easy and that kind of stuff. But then the next thing is, okay, I want to know more. An entry point for us would be a twenty dollar item or a one day event, that kind of a thing. Come to that, and then usually that'll lead you into like a nine week, which is the Financial Peace University, and maybe get with coaching one of our financial coaches mm-hmm. and walk with you through that. And so you plug into a process then that's extended, and you're spending more money in order to do that. So in your all's world, I mean, you you know, the the coaching is obviously that. It's a more, that's the bottom of your funnel. But, you you know, your podcast will be the top of the funnel. It's the same thing. You know, we're coaching people in their businesses. We're coaching people in their personal life. Mm -hmm. We do a little on the finances stuff. My wife was a coach, Mm -hmm. so she understood the budgeting process. Mm -hmm. But do you think we could do it for ourselves? No. And so I'm like, (laughs) I've heard of this Ramsey guy. (laughs) He's pretty cool. So we took Financial Peace University. Oh, you did? Oh, wow. And... I said to my wife, I said, hey, Lexa, now, look, we've got to both submit to another process because we couldn't do it together. Right. We had different opinions. We're strong characters. So I'm going to submit to this. 
And she goes, okay. And I said, so I need you to say it. I need a verbal on this, like with the exit rolls in the airplane. I need to. Mm-hmm. She goes, yep, I submit to this process. I go, I do too. So we started off. And, and I don't even know what you said. But at the end of it, I was kind of like, eh, I'm not sure about that with Dave. And, you know, I'm not sure if that applies <laughs> to California. So as soon as I kind of she put it out there. smacked you in the next yep. week. <laughs> yep. And so I'm like, you're right. So I go, you know what? We've got to be led through this process. Mm-hmm. We've got to submit ourselves to someone else's mm-hmm. experience knowledge. I want to tell you something. Nothing has bear more fruit in our life and in Wonderful. our home. And so I've benefited from it. How many people have gone through Financial Peace University? Almost 5 million. 46,000 churches have now taught it one time or another. Yeah. And a bunch of them are still teaching it, obviously. But, um, yeah, it's nuts. And, you know, it's like anything else. There's people that have completely changed their life. Yeah. And there's people that are, yeah. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Which means you didn't submit themselves to the process. You're, that was a very insightful thing that you gave there. It's like, you know, I know I lose weight. I eat less, exercise more. <laughs> but, you know, but I need a process. And I'll go on this 21-day thing or I'll go on this thing mm-hmm. and I'll do this thing or that thing. And, and I have to find somebody that knows something that I don't know yep. and quit trying to fix their system that works. Right. Right. You exactly. Know? Don't refine it. Just do it. You know, don't take a hammer to it, son. It works. You know, work it. Just work the system. It's really, somebody's been here before you. Yeah. So That's do right. it. And you're kind of an unusual character in the way that you are, you're a great speaker, but you've got the heart of a teacher. Thank you. And so I love how you describe the funnel because you know, hopefully, you're going to get start them on the journey. Mm-hmm. But also knowing you, you know, that's not going to get done for them. Like mm-hmm. two seconds on the phone with you mm-hmm. is not going to get it done for you. So how does all this, because you're doing this 25 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't want what's the worst month in Tennessee. Maybe there's no bad months in Tennessee. But weather-wise, you're driving to the office. You're kind of a little tired. You've been on the road. You've got to go and do this show. Mm-hmm. How do you... Get yourself up for it constantly. Because you said it this morning, like, they don't care if you've got the flu. It's not that they're mean people. It's not that they don't like you. But, like, I've got a problem. I need some help. How do you get up for that? How do you fuel yourself? Well, some days I don't, honestly. Some days I'm just bad. But um, <laughs> you know, we, have a, we have best of shows for a reason because <laughs> some of them are better than others. But the other thing, you know, I had this experience a few years ago. I booked too many events in one season. Mm. And I was tired. Mm. And I found myself standing backstage going, oh, i got to get out there and i got to get my energy up. And i got to bring it. There's 6,000 people. And 6,000 people, you got to go nuts. you know, you got to use a lot of physical movement. Otherwise, it looks like you're bored. Boring mm-hmm. and bored. And so I'm going to have to, you know, i got to go out here and run about eight miles in the next two hours. That's what i got to do. And I'm standing back there. I was kind of dreading it. And I thought, you know, you idiot. You're getting ready to go out here in front of 6,000 people that paid to hear what you mm. think? Mm. I mean, and I started remembering, you know, sitting in the audience and watching Zig Ziglar. And he would walk out to the edge of the stage and drop down on that one knee. You ever seen that routine? Oh, man. And I remember sitting out there in my 20s and thinking, if I could ever do that someday. And just before I went out there, I was just, you know, I think God was kicking my butt. It's like, you're just being ungrateful. Look mm. at what you've been given. And here you are whining. And I had a great event. I walked out there and brought it, you know. And I feel that way sometimes when I'm walking in the office. It's like, I want a company with almost 600 people. You know, we, we won best place to work for nine years. And why? Because we're the best place to work in our city, you know. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. People I get to work with are incredible. Sometimes some of them are a pain in the butt, you know. And it's not fun down there. Sometimes it's just drama, and people do stupid, perverted stuff, and you have to deal with it, and you're in leadership. It's just gross. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yuck. And then I think, yeah, but, man, when I was 20, I thought if I could ever run a company that was making an impact. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if you'd have told me when we had six people that we'd have 600 someday, I would have said, wow. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm not going to be ungrateful because I'm tired. I'm not going to be ungrateful. Mm-hmm. But gratitude is, is it's, it's the answer. And you just stop and go, hey, man, if I wasn't me, I'd want to be me. Shut up. You know, let's do it. So you learned how to talk to yourself rather than yeah, listen I guess to yourself. I, I guess that's what it is. I, maybe it's me kicking my own butt. Maybe God kicking my butt. I don't know. Right. But it's somebody going, if I wasn't me, I'd want to be me. Let's do this. I mean, game right. on. Well, you know, one of the things is you've got a great family. You've got a big business. You've got a lot of people coming on the air every day who are like, I need some help right now. Mm-hmm. You have the same amount of time, hours, as I do. Mm-hmm. How do you manage it all and still show up for a podcast? You walk in here today and you're like, well, how can I help you? And you've just presented in front of four or five thousand people. That was um, only an hour. I mean, <laughs> okay, that's a good point. <laughs> it's it's not like it wears you out talking for an hour. Uh, but how do you how do you manage your day? How do you manage your time? How do you prioritize? How do you protect uh, yourself and your family and have time for all the good stuff? We manage our calendar these days more tightly than we manage our budget. Mm. And we manage a budget pretty tight. Uh, we know where the money's going to go. and We know where the time's going to go. Like, I had a famous guy that moved to Nashville. I won't mention his name. And he wants to, a friend of mine connected us, and he wants to meet me and have coffee. I'd like to meet the guy. He's a cool guy. I mean, I think he is. I've never met him. But he's a, he's a national figure, you know. And I, I, I'd like to meet this guy. And um, just at least have a cup of coffee with him, just say, take a picture or something. But you know what? He called, and he's like traveling, and I'm traveling. And I looked at April, and I don't even really even have 15 minutes open in April. I do, but I'd have to cancel something else, and really I don't want to do it that bad. So it'll be May. And so, in other words, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to learn to say no. If you don't say no to the wrong things, you can't say yes to the right things. And that includes your wife, your kids, your grandbabies. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm on my phone instead of bouncing a baby on my knee when the kids are over for dinner, then check an email, then yeah. something's wrong. So the interesting thing is my life is easier now than when we were small. I mean, with 600 people, if I don't want to do it, it's called delegation. Somebody else does it. Yeah. You know, it's not like yeah. it doesn't get done. But when it was just me, yeah. I had to do it. If I didn't set the chairs up, they didn't get set up. You know, right. if I didn't take out the garbage, the garbage is getting taken out. And that's more pressure, I think, than it is today. So today it's like, man, I've got this luxurious ability to just go, you do that. I'm not going to. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not going to go speak for them, Rachel. You or Hogan, go speak yeah, and right. do that. That's good. And you've yeah. done a great job raising up other people. You've yeah. shared the stage. You've shared the pulpit. You're, and you're selfish so that I don't have to go. <laughs> yeah, but it's great. But it's also, it's really great to see them develop. I mean, I know your oh, daughter yeah. is, yeah. she's doing an amazing oh, job. She's a world-class speaker, man. She's yeah. incredible. I'm so proud of her. Yeah. yeah. And so when you do look at your calendar today. What goes in first? What do you look at? How do you prioritize? What do you go, okay, this is happening no matter what. I don't care what's going on. And How do you work your way through the process? Uh, Sharon, my wife, and, and my assistant, Patty, and I run that together. Hmm. And really, the two of them run it more than I do. And they conspire against me sometimes. <laughs> so um, for my own good and for the good of our family or our organization. And it's like you just have to decide at the end, what does winning look like? And if winning is I've got a pile of money and my family hates me, yeah. then spend all your time going and getting money. Mm-hmm. If winning is that I have my family and I'm, you know, they're all perfect, but I'm completely broke and everybody's broke and everybody's stressed out because everybody's broke. Mm-hmm. And that's not winning either for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So we're going to work enough that we get to do the things we want to do. Then we have to decide what is it we want to do. And so we're empty nesters. we get grandbabies. That's what we spend our time or money on as far as personal goes. And on business, I spend almost all my time now developing the talent to carry our organization in our succession plan over the next um, generation. And so I don't do any speaking gigs anymore 
I haven't taken any in probably 10 or 12 years unless they were part of lifting some part of our business. Yep. I don't take, I don't just do a speaking gig just for money. Right. Um, I, I go and I speak, and it lifts a part of our business. You know, when we came out and spoke with you guys at yep. one of your events, you know, a lot of your guys are our ELPs are yep. coached by yep. the Buffini yep. organization. So we had this natural synergy, yep. and it's a part of lifting the ELP program. Absolutely. So just going for the speaking fee wouldn't have yep. been enough. Nowadays, most of my speaking is with one of the other MC personalities, hmm. so that they are lifted. Hmm. And so as we record this today, I'll be in Sacramento. Tomorrow, and I'll be doing a one-day business boutique event with one of our personalities named uh, Christy Wright, who hmm. reaches out to ladies in business. And I'm going to just do one hour. She does the teaching. But uh, we put my brand with her to lift that brand up and lift that product line up and launch her so that she's not launching from the ground. She's launching from a platform. Great. So you're just raising people up. You're leveraging yeah, your time. Exactly. Exactly. But also what I'm hearing is I think a lot of good leaders, you're a pretty, you know, you know, it's got a little bit of intensity to you. Yeah, I think. Slightly driven. <laughs> you got some strong ideas. You think you're a really good leader. But what I'm hearing you say is that you let yourself be led. I do because life is better when... Because smart people don't hang out with you if you don't let them have the dignity of having an opinion. Hmm. And I've got a lot of smart people around me and a lot of strong people around me. So if I'm going to win, we have to do things that are beyond just me. If Organizationally, we're going to have to win. And so I have to be able to listen to... Somebody's been with me 12 years that's really smart in the space that they're in, and they're really, they really care as deeply as I care and will fight me you know, in a private meeting to get to do the right thing. For the, in the but the trust is there. The yeah, trust yeah, is oh, in, you trust in them, and, yeah, and you know them. Oh, yeah, it's a good fight. Yeah. It's a healthy exchange by two people that care about each other and that care about the outcome. Mm-hmm. And so that's just a security. You have to be secure in that yeah. to know I don't have all the answers. And when the discussion's over, I can still play the trump card right? if I want to. Yep. But if that's all I play, yeah. then that's called micromanaging. And who wants to work for that guy? Yep. Well, you know, me and my brother work together. I work for him. Mm-hmm. You've got family working in your business. Mm-hmm. You know, people ask me, how do you guys do it? And I think it's just down to mutual respect and, mm-hmm. and also knowing what he does well, what I do well, what others do well, and kind of submit to each other's you know, you stay in your lane. Right, you stay in your lane. You, 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 what's your job? You yeah. know, and, and you put that hat on. Yeah. And so when we're at work, Rachel, my daughter, is a Ramsey personality. She has the same pay scale as Chris Hogan or Christy Wright or any of our other speakers or teachers or writers. And she gets paid the same per book. Now, she may sell more or less books, but she gets the same thing. So she is one of our team at work. And when we're at work, I'm wearing a hat that says CEO. Yeah. And she's wearing a hat that says employee. Yeah. And so when you're sitting in a meeting with the CEO, you don't roll your eyes, you know. And that, oh, like let me a, write that down. Like a daughter, I hope anybody of a Phoenix yeah. company's listening to that, like right a daughter now. would do, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, because exactly. that's the father-daughter interaction. Right. Like, right. oh, dad. Yeah. I mean, you quit making jokes about the bachelor. Oh, dad. I mean, she can do that over dinner. <laughs> yeah. That's fine because then I'm Papa Dave. Right. And that's cool. But at work, you know, I wouldn't have somebody else in our organization do that. They would, you know, they can disagree, but contempt, which is what eye rolling is, mm-hmm. that's not an option. You wouldn't do that if you work for someone else. The CEO is in the room. You wouldn't do that. That's right. So you treat each other at work. You stay in your lane. Yeah. You wear that right hat. And then when I go home, I change my hat. I just take off the CEO hat and I put on the Papa Dave hat. That means I'm going to be playing three-year-olds with cars on the floor. Awesome. Wish I could see you doing with a lot of enthusiasm. Actually, I do. Yeah, I love cars. <laughs> do you make the noise, too? I bet you do. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. So Sometimes you he doesn't do it right, and I have to help him. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so you have, the boundaries are clear. If you guys have worked hard to establish the boundaries. You know, sometimes we mess them up, but we know where they are. You can get back to them. Yeah. yeah. It's good stuff.
Well, thank you. You brother. know, it's all thank practical you. and real, and it's always a work in progress. Nobody has all their stuff together, do they? You know, I, I used to think when I was a kid that I was going to be successful, but I thought the way you got there was was like this linear thing. You were at point A, <laughs> and then you would like get on the tram and you would ride to the top of Success Mountain and get off. You know, it was like a linear. You know what I'm talking about? I think so. And Success Mountain was gleaming, and it was yeah. like full of gold and candy and you know prime rib and whatever else. You know, what I mean, that was like jaguars up there and stuff. You know, and so you could ride up to Success Mountain, and you know what I figured out after meeting all these people that were successful is that nobody took a straight line there. Right. They've all gone around the mountain. They've all fallen back down. They crawl back up. They fall back down. They crawl back up. And the truth is that every single person that you know, if you're listening to this right now, that you think of as successful is not standing on Gleaming Success Mountain. They are standing on a pile of all of their mistakes and mm. failures. They just made the choices to stand on them rather than lay under them. Mm. That's the only difference. Success is a pile of failure standing on it. Mm. And so, I mean, you think Peyton Manning, how many interceptions does he throw? You think Babe Ruth, he was the strikeout king mm. as well as the home run hitting king. You know, and, and Gretzky and, you know, Jordan. You can use all the sports metaphors, and they all tell you the number of shots I missed, the number of shots I should have taken, uh, all of those kinds of things. But you, you see it in ministry. You, you know, you sit and you talk to someone, Franklin Graham, and you think, okay, that guy, he, I mean, he's Billy Graham's son. I mean, this is really close to Jesus right here, you know? And, and then you talk to him and you go, man, you have done some stupid stuff in your life. And you survived it and you stand on it. And it gives your soul richness and your voice something to say because there's experience there. Mm -hmm. And a man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with an opinion. Mm -hmm. And so when you meet these people, whether they're political figures or business figures or ministry figures or sports figures or anything, they played the game until their hands bled. Right. And you miss that part. You miss that part that they swung the golf club 10,000 times to be able to hit the ball like that. Right. And most people won't pay that price yeah. to win. Right. But if you're willing to pay the price and you understand Success Mountain is not a tram ride, mm -hmm. you're going to be okay. It's a good word. So based on that, if you were going to go back and talk to your 25-year-old self. That's what I'd tell him. And I'm telling you, it's going to be harder than you thought it was going to be. <laughs> it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder and, than you and, thought it was going to be. Yeah. And you're going to have to want this. you got to work. I mean, the hustle and grind is real. And on the downside, I did not see how many times people would lie about us and they would betray us and how hurt we would be. I didn't see that coming. Mm. And uh, that's on the downside. On the upside, what I didn't see coming, because you said earlier I'm a pragmatist, I was hiring people because we needed to get work done to help people. And I was building a team, and then I had to build leaders, and then I had to build layers of leaders, and then I had to think about strategic thought, not just tactical. And then I've had to learn all these different things about business acumen that I did not know in order to get the job done. That's how I did it. And then all of a sudden I looked up a few years back, and standing on my right and on my left are some of the brightest people with the most character. Some of my best friends in the world uh, work right beside me every day. And it's not because I'm a workaholic. It's because that's the kind of people I get to play with yeah, in the sandbox. And it changes. There's a richness of soul that I get to go onto the battlefield with warrior poets every day that win. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so powerful. I didn't see that one coming. What I've noticed is, and we look for it too at Buffini Company, because in order to do the work that we do in helping people, you need to find people who've got the head for the business and mm -hmm. the heart for the business. Yeah. And so if they just have one, they're useless. Right. Because yeah. they're either bleeding heart, who's mm -hmm. just trying to help everybody, and you're, you're, gonna, you're going out of business that way. Yep. Or if you're too pragmatic about it, you're going to miss the heart of the business. Because you forget that these are people. Right. And I know your mission is important, as ours is. Mm -hmm. Could you just share what your mission is and how that applies in your business and how you use it? Well, I mean, we have a mission statement that survived the first 15 years without any changes and then was changed slightly about five years ago. 
and we provide biblically-based, common-sense education and empowerment, which gives hope. And hope is capitalized and italicized, because that's our product line, to everyone in every walk of life. And so the two walks of life that we're in today, uh, we think we'll be in others later, but that we're in today are the leadership space and the money space. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at Ziegler's old wheel of life, yep. two of the spokes we're playing in. But, you know, we might have a, a Ramsey personality someday that does marriage. We might have a Ramsey personality someday that does a parenting. Yep. You know, we want to provide biblically-based common-sense education and empowerment because those are where hope comes from. Mm-hmm. When you see something that's real and true and you're broken, you can latch on to it, submit yourself to it safely without being kicked for submitting yourself and not being taken advantage of for submitting yourself, and then they can walk it out. Mm-hmm. That's great. And also I see uh, in your company, you kind of live what you teach. I can't imagine anybody's got a credit card, or if they do, they're... You know, we don't check their wallets, <laughs> but, you know, we try not to hire hypocrites. And, right. you know, and we tell them that all the time right. on the hiring, but also anytime we're talking to a staff meeting or something, it's like, you know, if you go lease a car while you work for us, if we tell people not to lease cars, that would make you stupid. Mm-hmm. That's just dumb. I mean, my grandfather worked for Alcoa Aluminum for 38 years. And my mother, when they first got married, made the mistake of buying a rental trap. And that was like a family sin. He went through her cabinets and threw it all out in the backyard and had an absolute hillbilly fit. <laughs> but that was that loyalty to the, you don't mess with the company that has fed our family for four decades mm-hmm. thing. It used to be called common sense. People don't think that way anymore because the loyalty, the two-way loyalty from the company or to the company, either way, is not there. But So we have to teach people this now. Mm-hmm. We have to teach them not that it's undying loyalty, not like that, but still, it, it, there's something to that story that makes you think, yeah, if you're going to sell Chevrolets, you probably ought to drive a Chevrolet. True. Yep, I like that. You know, I've got a few more questions, but I have to ask you one money question because I, sure. I feel like there's a lot of people on here, and we're coaching people all over the world, and it's a universal issue. So I'll just ask you real quick, what are the top three things that you would say to somebody about money? It all falls under one thing, and then we can break out and go a whole bunch of different ways. But the big one thing is people don't pay attention. They're not intentional. They don't think about the subject and say, how am I going to retire? Should I have insurance? Should I have a will? Is this debt working for me? Am I borrowing too much? Am I buying a bunch of stuff that I don't need with money I don't have to impress people I don't really like? You know, They're not doing it on purpose. Instead, they just walk into a store and go, I want that. They walk into a steakhouse and say, let's eat that. And they go over and buy a house that they can't afford. I even talk to people that move. You know, they move from, you know, from Boston to California. They didn't think about it. How do you do that? How do you make that move and don't even think about it? You have, they're not intentional. So if you start being intentional, holistically intentional, if you can be holistically intentional, what that gives you is you're looking at the whole picture and saying, how does this one decision fit into my whole picture? Do I have a big game plan? In other words, if you start asking yourself, okay, what's the best way to have peace in our finances, low stress, and become wealthy? Hmm. If you ask yourself that, then all of your decisions should line up with that answer. For us, we're really sure the answer to that equation is get out of debt because your most powerful wealth-building tool is your income. And when you commit it all to other people in the form of payments, you're just a rat in a wheel. You just run, 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 pay other people all the time. All you do, you just work to pay other people. And you just run, 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 and you don't get any traction. And instead, if I had all of the money I'd given to banks, just in a fruit jar, I would have more money, a lot more money. Right. And so once you decide that, then you go, well, then buying this couch 
this car, this vacation on debt does not align itself with my holistic intentionality. And so I don't mind having a nice car going on vacation, but we're going to pay cash for it mm-hmm. because we have a bigger goal of financial peace, which includes being wealthy and generous and the shortest track to get there is staying out of debt. So being out of debt, it would be one of the subcategories of the three. Yeah. The other one would be on a plan, a budget, mm-hmm. starting to do every dollar, giving every dollar a name on paper, on purpose, before the month begins, every dollar has an assignment. Another one would be the generosity piece, always be giving. Mm. Uh, there's a high correlation between people that are generous and people that win with money. And it's not that I'll be generous when I get money. No, you'll get money when you're generous because generosity changes who you are. Generous people are more attractive Selfish people are ugly, <laughs> and they smell bad when you're trying to make a sale, when you're selfish mm-hmm. and you're making a sale. But when you're a generous person you're trying to make a sale, you're caring about the other person. Mm-hmm. It, it bleeds from the money through the character. Mm. And, That's and great. I didn't think of that. So it's not just, it's not just generosity of dollars. No, it's it changes who you are. You, know, you think, if you say George is a generous man, it means he's the guy who opens the door for you. Mm-hmm. It means he's selfless. He's not selfish. Yeah, uh, they're cool. very attractive people. And attractive people have a tendency to be attracted into deals and yeah. get business, and people like being around them, and they give them opportunities. And selfish people, you're like, oh, here he comes again. I got to take a shower after I have this meeting. You know, Ugh. and you don't want to be with that guy, that guy. Yeah. And you know, and so there's a high correlation between generosity and financial success. Yeah. And then just to loop it back around, if your staff have that and that same core value, then they can really truly help someone in a yeah. in a genuine spirit, which is what the culture you've created, which yeah. is... And, and and then you give them permission. You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't have to... If somebody in customer care is talking to somebody and they, they think, okay, if I own this company, I'd probably give them a free book right now. This guy's hurting. I'm going to just... I'm on, they're deputized. That's fantastic. You know, you're Barney Fife. Send the book out, baby. You know, fantastic. get the book away. And, and so, you know, but if you think somebody's going to rip you off, you fight them into the death. You know, that's the <laughs> yeah. other side of it, right? Because right. this is my business. I'm going to protect this business. I'm part of this mm-hmm. team. And don't you come at us... Which you, you know, can sniff out. You yeah, can well, sniff that out in others when you're in the other. Everybody order. can, yeah, yeah, if right. you give them permission to. Yeah. But if they don't have permission because they're just little drones and they just have a policies and procedures manual, Lord help you, you're not going to get anything out of them. <laughs> so I've got a couple of questions. You've been very generous with your time. So I really, really appreciate it, and I've got a lot of notes. You've achieved so much. I think it's great to hear you say, like, well, if I look back, at, I couldn't imagine how much I would have accomplished, and it gives you that kind of that perspective of gratitude. But what continues to drive you? I mean, you could be off on a boat somewhere and fishing or shooting something or whatever it is you do for fun, but what is it that drives you today, and what's on the horizon for you? The most rewarding thing that we're dealing with is the succession stuff that we were talking about a little bit earlier, and that's what's driving me. It would be a shame to build something and spend your whole life building it and and have no end game that it just dies when you do. I mean, it's okay if you want to do that, but for me that would seem... It seems oxymoronic. We teach people how to manage things well, and that doesn't seem like it's managing well. And I don't want our business to be a curse to our family in that it crushes them Mm. under the weight of it. Mm. And uh, you see people who their children are destroyed by their business. And so we told our kids, don't join the company unless God's telling you to, unless you got the stuff, unless you can really shoulder it. And, and you don't get moved up just because you're Ramsey at our place. Yep. You better bring it like everybody. As a matter of fact, you kind of the coach's kid, you got to bring it double right? just to be getting recognized because yep. everybody's going to think nepotism otherwise. Yeah. And so, you know, we think that stuff through. and But it, it is very rewarding. You know, Rachel had a, a number one book this year, and uh, Hogan, Chris Hogan, had a number one book this year. And... Uh, uh, this book that's uh, coming out with Christy Wright will be a number one. There's no question in my mind. Our marketing plan is so locked tight, solid, it's going to work. But Plus, the space is so alive. But the cool thing is, is that all lives way past me. And all of them are, you know, they're way better 
teachers and speakers than I was when I was their age. Mm. And so where are they going from here? But up. Uh, I mean, so, we don't put out people on stage that don't kill it. So, on, yeah. Fox and Friends or yeah. Good Morning America. We're not going on there and embarrass the brand because you have an ego and want to go on there. No, 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 no. We wear each other out on details, things that are said on stage, movements and hand gestures, everything. We work every detail. It's a craft and you work it. But um, but the succession plan, it's 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 very rewarding. It's it's much like a parent. You kids grow up yeah. and they make it. Yeah, that's ding. You know what I'm hearing is you're Papa Dave. I am, man. You're big time. You're starting to bring everybody else along, and that's so cool. It's fun. It's that's really, really fun. fun. I'm having a blast with it. So, what have been the biggest influence on your career and your life? I know you've touched on them here, and and you've mentioned uh, you know the Zig Ziglar's of the world. But who are the folks that have kind of inspired you along the way? You know, from a business perspective, I had the blessing of, of becoming friends with some of the better minds in the space over time. Found out many years ago that Zig and Miss Jean listened to the radio show in Dallas where they live, and Tom uh, called me his son, and we got to be friends and got to be really good friends with Zig and Miss Jean and did a lot of stuff with him before he fell down the stairs and uh, hit his head, and he was kind of out of it, and then, before, of course, before he passed away. So that's an example. But, you know, like so many others, 25 years before I ever met him, it was a cassette in the car, mm-hmm. you know, or John Maxwell, you know, mm-hmm. on leadership, same kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And John's a good friend right now. We do we do three events together this year, different kinds. Mm-hmm. Uh, just we like hanging out together. And, um, you know, uh, you know, like a Jim Collins, uh, read everything the guy wrote and then got to know him. And, man, he's just a solid dude. Seth Godin in marketing and read everything he wrote, got to be friends. And Pat Lencioni. And uh, so those are guys in the business space. Uh, you know, and in the different spaces, I guess, is what I, I don't expect those guys to teach me marriage. Right. Uh, not that they don't know it. They may or may not have great marriages, but I'm really not coming to them for that. And so, you know, I'm hanging out with whoever's the teacher, the leader, thought leader in that area. And that could be my pastor, you know, married 50-something years, and that's a good track record. I want to, I can learn from that guy. Um, it could be just sitting, talking and asking. I remember before Mr. Truett Kathy passed away, we got to be friends with him and his wife's name is Gene as well. Chick fil A people? Yeah. And so I'm sitting with them. They've been married 67 years. I'm sitting and have, before he passed, I was sitting and having a conversation. I said, Miss Gene, I got to go back and tell my wife, how do you live with an entrepreneur like this all these mm. years? And she's sitting there and those little eyes started sparkling. And that little grin came up and she said, Patience. <laughs> Like that's gold, man. Like that's just that. gold right there. I can take that one home. Tell Sharon, right? <laughs> Miss Jean, Jean said patience. <laughs> so you're still learning. You're still oh, learning. Yeah. You're a student. You're Yeah. That's great. If you don't, you die. I, I remember Art Linkletter came on my show before he passed away many years ago. He was 80, I think he was 86 years old when he came on the show. He did 78 speaking gigs that year. And I said, Art, why are you doing this? He said, if you're not learning and you're not working, you're dead. Mm. He said, all the data shows your mind dies when you quit using it. It's just like, it's like other muscles, they atrophy. He said, and he was real involved in aging research and all this stuff and had learned a bunch of it. And he, he was just so vital and still on it. So, yeah, I think if I just sat on the back of a boat, I'd be gone in about six months. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, you've been very generous with your time. I've got four or five quick questions okay. to ask you. I'll try to right, ready? quick. I'm going too long. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. This is great. I can listen to you all day. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? best piece of advice I've ever been given it would be something in the spiritual realm that you know it has to do with understanding who God is mm. um, somewhere in there 
I don't know if I can give you so a... So it's kind of like knowing who he is versus knowing who you are? Yeah, and, you know, he's God and you're not and mm. kind of thing. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> you know, the, that's helpful for me. Yeah. Just to kind of keep myself yeah. straightened around. Well, especially in the business you're in, because so many people are coming to you looking for answers. I mean... Yeah, that's how these people crash. They start believing their own mail, you know. Yep. That's good. That's good. Uh, what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Hmm. Whatever it is I'm going after, I get OCD and I go get it, so I don't know. <laughs> That's why you told me you didn't want to play golf, right? Yeah, I, <laughs> no, I can't play golf. If I ever start playing golf, I wouldn't do anything else. It would consume my life. <laughs> no, I can't do that. I'm sure there's about 46 things, and I cannot think of one of them. Uh, what talent or gift do I wish to have? For me, it was singing. For me, it was just the ability to go up and... Oh, that's and good. Sing, that's do good. something like that. Yeah, I'm in talk radio. I can't sing a lick. Can you do it just I'm one time? No, <laughs> no, I would not record that. There'd be dogs howling. Well, it's yeah, that, that that would be good. Yeah. Be to, that would go with that. Right. Thank you, thank you okay. for bailing no, me welcome. out. I yeah. thought I could see you singing. No, you, you did a little Garth in Brooks. the car by myself. Yeah, <laughs> I think I know the answer to this one. But what's the book has been most instrumental in your life? Well, the underhand pitch is the Bible. It has to be. It's all encompassing on those things, and then it would be books. Not a book, in spaces. You know, in the parenting world, who do I read? In the leadership world, who do I read? You know, and um, I already mentioned several of yep. them. The old masters, I love the old masters in the in the sales world, in our business or leadership space, the Zig Ziglar's, the Cabot Roberts, you remember that name, or, mm. or Earl Nightingale, or, you know, they go on and on and on, the old guys that were in that space. And then, you know, the modern versions are the Seth Godin's and the Jim Collins. I don't know Malcolm Gladwell, but I've read every book he's written. I love his writing. I always get something out of it. And I've read everything Seth's written, everything Jim Collins has written, everything Pat Lincioni's written. Once I find one like that that I can align my value system with, I haven't read everything John Maxwell's written. That's impossible. He writes a book every week. <laughs> but I've read a bunch of John's books. So in that space, uh, you know, in the marriage space, Egrich um, and mm -hmm. uh, Les Parrott. Gary Smalley was back in the day. In parenting space, my favorite writer by far is Meg Meeker. She is doing some great stuff. Strong Father, Strong Daughters, is the, she's the author mm. of that. Mm. Uh, in the business space, Rabbi Daniel Lappin's book, oh, man, it's, mm. a, it's a jewel. I've heard Thou that. Shall Prosper. It's a jewel. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, but there's just so many. I mean, yeah. if you can answer one single book, you haven't read enough. You haven't read enough. Yeah, that's a good point. What song? What's your favorite song? What's the one you crank up, you're driving to work, by the time you get there, you're ready to just, like, take the place apart? Is there a song that you... Sing really badly. <laughs> Old seventies rock stuff, <laughs> Eagles stuff. All right, uh, for sure. For All right, sure. Eagles or Heart or Journey or Boston. All right, yeah, that kind of stuff. The old Atlanta rhythm section or Charlie Daniels Band or Leonard Skinner, that kind of stuff. Good I grew stuff. up in Nashville with all these twangers, <laughs> and I didn't listen to any of them when I was a teenager. It was all the, all the old guys, but the Eagles were the best. What about a movie? What movie would you watch over and over? Forrest Gump's on the list. I love that one. That's a classic. Great. Bravehearts on the list for sure. Yeah, I love it. well, that's your Scottish, so you yeah, have to. that's it. Got to be on there. <laughs> and uh, it's a manly man. That's right. But, yeah, those two. They're pretty good. That's pretty good. Pretty ones, good. Yeah. Well, look, I can't thank you enough for your time. And you're a thank very you. generous spirit. I don't know anybody who's helped more people on the planet with their finances. You're very kind. And I just think that's. I think that's a piece of who you are and what you do. I think what you do and who you are is so much bigger than money. But I think you understand kind of the influence it has on people. I think you've been blessed with a lot of gifts and ability and great teaching. And um, You're right. I know this podcast is just full of gold, and I should listen <laughs> to this over and over again. Yeah, we'll see. But I can't, I can't thank you enough on behalf of myself, Brian, 
We really appreciate uh, We love you guys. We got a lot of respect for y'all. You do have a great company. You have great hearts. Uh, you're good men. And uh, that's why our organizations have always been aligned. So. Thank you, sir. Well, I really appreciate it. God bless you. You too. Thank you, Thanks sir. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you're you. Awesome. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. What a great interview. Dave is a wealth of knowledge. And I think it was great to hear his own personal story. It's fantastic to see what he's done and what's happened from his pain and how this pain has become a purpose and the purpose has turned into a mission and how many folks him and his company are helping today. I also learned the fact that it's not just about the tactics. Obviously, it's great to pay attention with the finances, be intentional, get on a plan, get on a budget. But it's also about a spirit of generosity and an attitude of gratitude. So I hope you enjoyed that today. I hope this helps you in your finances. I'd highly recommend if you need some help that you check out DaveRamsey.com and look at the resources that they have there. I know that they'll help you tremendously with your finances. And don't forget to head over and leave a review on iTunes. We're also on Android, so download your favorite podcast app from Google Play and tune in for free. As you know, our goal is to positively influence as many folks as we can, so please feel free to share the show with your friends and family members. And in the tradition of The Brian Buffini Show, I'd like to leave you with an Irish blessing our grandfather used to say. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. Until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.